Hello and welcome to this week's Spine Chillers and Serial Killers. I'm Tash. I'm Becky. And I'm Emma. <laughs> I forgot who I was. Well done. I thought there was a lag. I was thinking, oh no. No. Genuinely forgot who I was. Yeah, that happens. You're the spooky one. I am. Ooh. We're doing a podcast, aren't we? Yeah, that's what we're yeah. doing. Thought so. Yep. That's who we are. What we live for. Jesus. Anyway. Welcome. Welcome back, guys. <laughs> <laughs> the place where we talk about spooky stuff, murdery stuff, but we also forget who we are. Yeah. Yep. Sometimes you just forget who you are. God, that could be quite a deep question, couldn't it? Who am I, really? Yeah, but I do sometimes wonder if I wasn't who I am, would the world be a completely different place? And that's such a big-headed question to ask myself. Well, it absolutely would. Absolutely, 100% would. Well, yeah, but like, arguably, that's the same for anyone, but I'm so self-centred at times. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so you're wondering, would it be worse without you than anybody else? Not necessarily worse, just different. You know, like the butterfly effect. Just one thing changes well, of course. everything. We wouldn't be doing the podcast, obviously. That's priority number one. Yeah. Your children wouldn't exist. No, exactly. Priority number two. My family would have no one to make them laugh endlessly. Did you just put Tasha's children priority number two compared to the podcast? <laughs> yes. <laughs> she said nothing. <laughs> she didn't pick up on it. It took a while for the penny to drop with me. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> number two, children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did do it on purpose. <laughs> uh, of mean, course, they come. They come first. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, without you, what would me and Bex do? We'd just be like a sad duo. Yeah. Do you think you'd be friends if I wasn't there? I think so, because we knew each other before, separately. Yeah. But would we have had all the laughs and all the drunken nights and all the shenanigans without Tash? No. Not as many. (laughs) I love how Tash was answering. No, of course you wouldn't. No. I'm just also thinking back to our Thursday lunch times yeah. and some of those weird, weird things we used to talk about. Well, none of that would have happened. No. Yeah. What, oh, do you remember when we went on a TV show? <laughs> oh, yeah, we were on the what? news. Do you remember we, we, when we were on the news in your pub? No. Oh, you don't remember that. They were doing a segment about expats and you were like, oh, girls, bring your babies. And we were like on the news with our kids. <laughs> I've got no <laughs> recollection of that. I was probably hammered. It was on Channel 4 in French telly, I think, or Channel 3. And they what? came and interviewed us about the English living in the area that we do. Well, British expats. And Was it just us three in the pub? I don't know. Tom, Tom was there. He was, there was a few clips of him playing pool. Oh my God, (laughs) yes. I'll have to send you the link. It's still on YouTube. I found it a few years ago. Did you really? Oh my God. (laughs) We look so fresh faced. We look so young, didn't we? Very, very young. Are we speaking French? Yeah. I don't yeah, know that you spoke. I think it was just Becky and I. Yeah. 
That was our uh, TV debut. Oh, well, guys, <laughs> if we can find the uh, <laughs> the link. <gasps> I've just found it on YouTube from where on the thumbnail. <laughs> Hold on, look at the chat. Hold on, you can cut this out. But I didn't think we'd be on the thumbnail. (laughs) 134 views. Sorry, are we famous? (laughs) (laughs) Have we been famous all along? Jesus, we could have used that to publicise a podcast as seen on TV. Right, Becky, what's your dominatrix name then, love? Oh, well, hold on. Let me just put my tea down. Oh, God, she's putting her tea down. It's getting serious. Ready to spill. (laughs) Well, it's um, someone rang up at work and they got my name wrong. (laughs) And they called me Veronica. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Veronica's right. Veronica's is such a good first name for a dominatrix. And his name, it's it rhymed with Spankswell. So I was like, oh, Veronica Spankswell. There's my dominatrix name. That's a great dominatrix name. Veronica Spankswell. At first I didn't correct him and I was like, oh, Veronica. And I was kind of turning into this other person and felt really powerful. And then I almost shouted at him in an accent, going, I am not Veronica, I'm Madame Spankswell. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, but no. And then I was like, oh, there we are. Dominatrix name got given to me by a random person at work. No, oh, I love now. it. Veronica Spankswell. Yeah. Yeah. I think we need more adventures of Veronica Spankswell. The Chronicles. Yeah. <laughs> it's sexy isn't chronicles. it but do you know that reminds me of something that would be in you know the the podcast my dad wrote a porno yeah belinda blinks yeah oh. yeah her name would veronica spankswell would definitely be a dominatrix in that yeah she yeah. would she maybe would. i should maybe i should send them a message to uh oh was it rocky rocky yeah <laughs> <laughs> Guys, if you have not listened to this podcast, I'm now listening to it for the second time. It is hilarious. You must go and listen to it. After you've listened to ours, obviously, but then go and listen to My Dad Wrote a Porno because it's hilarious. Yeah. I mean, they don't need um, recommendations from a little podcast like us, but absolutely. They do deserve it from everybody because they're so funny. It's so funny. Proper laugh out loud. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. Obviously. Listener discretion is advised. Well, it's a por- it's a porno, you know. Well, so. I mean, is it? <laughs> it's erotic fiction, erotic novel. I mean, mm. Rocky tries hard, doesn't he? He does. He does. He tries hard. He writes hard. Uh, <sighs> Facebook page. I've got a few shout outs. Shout away. Shout out. Shout out. So, for your song, Becky, what was the title of your song last week? The week before, even. Yeah. Shall I just sing it? <laughs> yep. Sing away, baby. You are my fire. The one desire. Anyway, it was Backstreet Boys. I want it that way. Yep. And you got uh, three right answers. They're having a little competition, these ladies. Go on, homies. So we've got Nicole and Stacey. 
who are battling it out and trying to beat each other, but they keep getting it right. So, and the third lady is says who got it right again. So, I think everybody else needs to step up their game. Send us those uh, suggestions. We're not going to shout at you if you get it wrong. Promise. I might. Veronica Spankswell might. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and something else on the Facebook page that happened that was awesome, and I don't know if you saw this, but you know Ruth and Charlie, the skeleton? Yes. Yes. Turns out, not the only person who listens to our podcast and who owns a skeleton. Sorry. I feel like I'm missing out on not owning a skeleton now. (laughs) She still can't say it. (laughs) Uh, Julie also owns a skeleton called Stephen. <gasps> Stephen is that Stephen with a PH or with a V? It was a V, spelled with a V. And uh, yes, so Stephen and Charlie had a little meet up on our Facebook page. <laughs> I love that for them. Yeah, Charlie yeah. was wearing a steampunk type top hat, looking pretty dapper. oh i love the people that listen to our podcast because it genuinely feels like we would be friends a hundred percent so yeah there we go i think that's about it so i'm on the black monk of pontefract part three part three onos dos tres Mm, what's very nicely done (laughs) nice bit of spanish (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so do you guys remember last week we we left where Vic had tried to do a little exorcism with the holy water and he'd been around the house saying prayers oh and didn't he piss down the walls or something <laughs> well he didn't pee down the walls but the poltergeist collected all the holy water and then just kind of dribbled it all down the walls to say fuck off it didn't work kind of thing I do remember that mm. yes And remember the warnings that the priest gave that with poltergeist hauntings, quite often exorcisms don't work and make things worse. I also remember that. And we were going to see if it made it worse. So I've got a sneaky suspicion it made it worse. So that night, no one in the family got a lot of sleep. Fred was pissed and he banged and thudded his way throughout the house. He ripped off bed sheets and tossed poor old Diane out of her bed again multiple times. <laughs> poor old Diane. She's like a rag doll, isn't she? Isn't she? It's like, just take it out on Diane. So this carried on until about 5am. Diane was so exhausted she didn't go to school the next day. She managed to get a bit of sleep on the sofa downstairs. But Fred wasn't done yet. Oh no. As she got up to brush her hair, Jean saw a drawer slowly slide out of a cupboard before shooting out at top speed and hitting Diane in the back. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) That's not funny. It was very sexy though. What shot out the where and hit what? (laughs) (sighs) Oh, my days. The drawer began very slowly coming out. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you get in Tash a bit overexcited? <laughs> and then it gained speed. <laughs> <laughs> and then it climax of speed. 
say my name. <laughs> Tasha. It's shut oh. out and hit. Oh! <laughs> Tasha, stop pulling your own hair. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and it hit Diane in the back, which wasn't very That's nice. unfortunate. It was. Okay. She then got that sinking feeling in her solar plexus. Do you remember the solar plexus? The chakra? Yeah. Oh, yes. That she knew meant something big was about to happen. <laughs> I've been in her position before, okay? Well, I'm having a disappointed solar, solar plexus. plexus. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who hasn't? That sinking <laughs> feeling in your solar plexus. Yeah, after saying, shut up my back. <laughs> oh, Jesus. It was then that a brass crucifix raised from the middle of the mantelpiece and hit Diane in the back. But oh instead of God. falling to the floor, it stuck to her. So she had no idea what the object was on her back because she hadn't seen it hit her. But she started shouting, get it off me, get it off me. So Jean rushes in. Jean's the mum, remember? Yeah. And she's trying to pull it off, but she couldn't get it off. It was like glued to Diane, really stuck to her. Yeah. So Diane begins panicking and rushing about, trying to get it off her, when suddenly the cross just dropped off her back and hit the wall. So when they lifted up her top, they found a cross-shaped red mark in between her shoulder blades that would remain on her for several days before fading away. Blimey. So Fred was obviously showing the family what he thought about being exercised and his utter contempt at anything Christian in the house. On Easter Sunday, Jean noticed that floral smell. Do you remember? He kind of smells flowery. Mm-hmm. Letting her know that he was around. Then she noticed on all the doors something had painted with gold paint inverted crosses. In the lounge, there were also some on the walls. What's an inverted cross? An upside down cross. Thanks. In gold paint, though, that could look quite nice. Yeah. Well, I guess if you like Satanism. No, I don't know. But just like gold paint. They look pretty. You just like the shiny stuff, don't you, babe? Yeah, just like things that are shiny. (laughs) Jean was amazed at the precision that appeared to have been used, as if it had used a stencil. There were no paintbrush marks, so she thought it could only be spray paint. Hmm. She remembered Joe had a tin of gold spray paint and managed to locate it to try and reproduce the crosses, but with no success. The glossy paint that was on the doors just made the spray paint run and blob. This, yet again, pointed to Fred being able to manipulate matter however he intended. The family were now becoming slightly worried as these new events seemed demonic in nature. They decided to ask their local vicar. He came to the house to see the crosses with another clergyman and they both suggested it best to leave the crosses in place over Easter and that they would return afterwards. Neither of them ever returned. That's out of order. Well, they're not, they're, the church isn't being overly helpful, really, is it? Well, no. Do you remember the no. first one? The first one was just like, yeah, this place is evil, you should move. Yeah, it's a bit muggy, isn't it? Just a little bit. So, Rene had visited again. Rene is the psychic friend. Yeah. Yep. So, Rene had visited again and while she was there her white mohair coat went missing she had to borrow another coat to leave in 
Everyone knew that the coat would eventually reappear, and of course it did. But in the coal shed, under a huge pile of coal. Oh, that's annoying. That's never coming out. Yeah. One would assume the coat would be ruined, right? And yet, they retrieved it without even so much of a smudge on it. Not even a smudge? No smudges. Oh, wow. I mean, Vanish. my mind is blown. Gold. You two seem very sarcastic tonight. That's not like us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just impressed. Yes. To be fair. <laughs> it, it's very impressive. Yeah. So another family friend had come to see the Pritchards and when he left, he was shocked to see his windscreen wipers on. Technically, this was impossible as his car was locked and turned off. But suspecting an electrical fault, he still had it looked over by a garage who found absolutely nothing wrong. He'd also noticed something else as he left. The house seemed to have an odd glow all around it. Now, this story is backed up by the neighbours who also saw the house glowing at night. Ooh. Does it say what colour? It doesn't. Mm, that's weird. Yeah, no, I don't like that. That's the kind of thing you would see in a film, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Radioactive. Yeah. Oh, what's that song? Radioactive, radioactive. Who sang that? That was a banger. Yeah, when that first came out, I was convinced it said Radio Ashfield, Radio Ashfield. <laughs> so I was like, where is this? Radio Ashfield, Radio Ashfield. Imagine Dragon. Well known radio station in Ashfield. It's <laughs> so famous it deserves a song. Yes. <laughs> so, whether this was Fred just messing with the electrics or some other unworldly occurrence, we don't know. What is surprising, however, is that their electrical bill had halved during Fred's time with the family. Oh, send me a fucking Fred. Yeah. Hey, careful what you wish for. I retract that. I retract it. I retract it. Yeah, just be careful what you wish for. No, yeah, I don't really want one. No. So they usually paid around £20 a month. <laughs> this, is a, this is a few years ago, girls, okay? <sighs> £20 a month? Yeah. A what? They usually paid about £20 a month and were now only paying 10 mm. Now, Jean queried this with the electrical board, but they said that's what the meter said, so that's what she was being charged. But to be fair, most of the time he's turning the fucking lights out, so I'm not surprised, really. <laughs> yeah, true that. Then there was the incident with the keys. One day, Jean was cleaning out the fireplace and she began to be hit in the head with something <laughs> fucking <laughs> Sorry, I have a filthy Why mind. Why is everything turned so sexual? I, I don't know. Help. I can't help myself. It's because you're Veronica Spankwell. Yeah, it's the Spankwell side coming out. So Jean was cleaning out the fireplace and she began to be hit in the head with something. It was keys. Ah. Uh. Yeah, 19 in total fell from the flu. <laughs> From the what? From the flu. From the flu. What was it doing up the flu? Poltergeist activity, man. So all the keys were from the house, but once she had identified where each one went, she was left with one big, old-looking one. 
So she never identified that one, and but she kept it forever because it was like a gift from Fred. Okay. So she wasn't okay, yeah. she wasn't like moored with the tongs and the burning. She was like, oh, I'm keeping that. Yeah. Keepsies. At this point, we're getting close to the end of Fred's activity, and it seems it's now that he decided to start to show himself. Joe and Jean were the first to see him. He opened their bedroom door, and there he stood, a very tall figure wearing a dark cloak with a big hood. Joe switched on the bedside light, and the apparition vanished. May Mountain, the neighbour, would be the next to see him. It seemed Fred didn't make much difference between the two houses and he had also been banging and thumping about in the mountains house as well, but they'd never seen him. On this particular day, May was at her kitchen sink when she felt like someone was behind her. She turned and there was a very solid looking figure dressed all in black with a big hood hiding his face. She wasn't afraid, just curious really about what she was looking at. And then he vanished. He would show himself once more to Renee, the psychic. One day she and Jean had been invited to a spiritualist church to talk about the haunting. They had been picked up by a driver and also driven home. Once at home, they asked the driver to come in and see for himself what they'd been talking about. Sorry, all I have in my head is porno. And I'm like, oh yeah, they got the driver to come back in, did they? Yeah, ooh. And also, the mm-hmm. poltergeist just seems so dramatic again. He's like, and stand, be creepy, and then uh, vanish. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> and disappear. <laughs> dramatic. Maybe he was an actor. I think something was going on. He was just walking around in his dressing gown, and he was like, ooh, people see me. And then, uh, yeah. <sighs> vanish. And then they don't. I don't think he's really clumsy. And a little bit dramatic and a little bit oversensitive. Possibly. Mm, bit of a drama queen. So they, they've invited this driver to come back and see for himself. Mm-hmm. Yes. But see for himself what they had been talking about when they've been talking about the haunting. Yeah. And when they get in the house, they're like, oh, so hot in here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the heating's been on. Maximum. We have to take all of our clothes. Bow, she go, wow, wow. <laughs> Why are we like this? I don't know. You two need a shag or something. You're worse than me today. <laughs> something needs to happen, obviously. <laughs> anyway, so the driver's in the house. Let's just get past this bit. He's come in. He's nervous, though, because he's obviously been listening to what they were talking about and he's a bit scared of it all. So there he is with his mm. cup of tea. And they're all sat in the lounge, chatting, and then sure enough, guess what happens? Gets out his dick. <laughs> <laughs> no, cut that out. I don't know what happens. Something starts flying around. I love when she says, cut it out, as if I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> this is fast becoming a sex podcast, isn't it? Well, we haven't had Tinder Corner with Tash, so... Nothing's happened recently. Nothing's happened. Oh. So, well, we're making, somehow we're managing to make the black monk of Pontefract a porno, so. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. So, sure enough, you didn't guess. He didn't get his dick out, Becky, but the lights went out. And then he got I his mean, dick that out. absolutely <laughs> makes sense, to be honest. 
that's more his style. Yeah, I mean, I think Becky was talking about the driver getting his dick out, or was it Fred? No, I was talking about the oh. driver. But I don't mind if Fred uh, joins in. <laughs> Just to be clear, nobody's dick's out. <laughs> But it definitely wasn't clarified that their dicks were out. They may have been naked. <laughs> <laughs> Did they have pampas grass out the side, the front of their house? Yeah. Probably. Or they were enclosed with upside down <laughs> pineapples on them. What's that mean? A sign that you swing. Upside down pineapples? Yep. Oh, fuck me. Yeah. Only if you wear a top with upside down pineapples on, Emma. <laughs> <laughs> Becky, don't tempt me. I mean, Veronica. (laughs) (laughs) Right, come on. Let's move past this. So the lights go out. The driver's come for a chat. He's scared. Nobody's dick's out. The lights are out. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck was that? Did you just malfunction? (laughs) Yeah. It sounded like it, didn't it? Like, oh dear me! Uh, I was laughing, but also trying not to spit my tea out as well. Okay. So, sensing the man's fear, Renee placed her hand on his shoulder, and just as she did, she felt a hand on the back of her head. It was Veronica Spankswell, <laughs> bringing the real pie to town. Why is it so erotic? <laughs> It's really scary. I don't know what's no. I'm honestly going to have to leave in a minute if you can't turn this around and make it less sexy. Okay, yeah. I'll turn it around. Veronica, stop sending me your energy, man. Yeah, right. I think, well, we just need to calm down. Forget Veronica. Veronica's gone. Bye, Veronica. It was fun. You sounded sad to say goodbye. Oh, Bye, Veronica. <laughs> right, let's go. Ooh. That noise is not helping. <laughs> Fuck. This is terrible. This oh. is terrible. Uh, right. So, now looking under her own arm, she saw the bottom half of what? someone Look. in a black monk's habit. I didn't know it was called a monk's habit. So, there we go. That's an education. Yeah, there we go. Why didn't she turn around by looking turn under her around. own arm? Why didn't she just right, turn so around? Right, so the man's on her right, imagine, and she's got her hand on his shoulder. I'm getting it now. I've got the image. So she can just see the bottom half of a black monk's habit. When Jean put the lights back on, the apparition was gone. It seemed Fred was getting stronger and stronger. His banging was getting unbearably loud. <laughs> <laughs> You can do it, Emma. <laughs> also, I've got the. What was that word? Now I'm stronger than yesterday. Okay. It seemed Fred was getting stronger and stronger. His banging was getting unbearably loud, and he was adding new noises to his repertoire. One. <laughs> Noise sounded so strange. It sounded like a weird squeak dash or something. 
like something metal. It was. <laughs> I'm dying. I'm dying. <laughs> this is supposed to be scary. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so lightheaded. I'm so lightheaded. Right. It seemed Fred was getting stronger and stronger. His banging was getting unbearably loud and he was adding new noises to his repertoire. One being farmyard animals. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Now, this just took a weird turn. I ain't for that. (laughs) No animals. So one evening it was so loud that Jean and Joe felt sure they had a cow and chickens in their bedroom. But listen, was it was it actual uh, animal sounds or did it sound like a man going moo and cluck cluck? No, I think he got really good at it because as I've just said... They, the... <laughs> <laughs> got really good at it. Listen... Oh. My issue with this is, I know we've been pissing around for about 15 minutes laughing at the poltergeist getting his knob out, but I just can't get on board with the farmyard noises. I feel like they've taken that one step too far, and that's where I don't know if I believe it now. Well, firstly, we were were never talking about Fred's ghost stick. (laughs) You thought that. Me and Becky were talking about the driver. (laughs) Secondly, he's obviously been practising these noises because they feel like they have a cow and its chickens in their actual bedroom. So he's put his heart and soul into it. Yeah, and that's horrifying when you think about it. You're just in bed and then all of a sudden you hear like... So of course they didn't have cows and chickens in their bedroom. So Fred would also breathe loudly and heavily outside their doors. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what was he doing? He's gone a bit pervy now, getting animals involved and like weird breathing. Do you remember Jeff the Mongoose? He used to do animal noises, didn't he? Yeah, but he was an animal. Yeah, but he wasn't doing mongoose noises, was he? Yeah, but it's just like speaking different languages for us to him. If he was speaking different animal noises. It's still horrifying, though. Oh, yeah. Yes, it is. You're right. I'm sorry. We're taken away from that. It's absolutely fucking petrifying. So they actually never went to check when they could hear him heavy breathing outside because they were too frightened. Plus, they knew the lights would go out and the battery in the bulb from their torch would almost always be missing. No? Yeah. No, I don't really like that. They need a wind-up torch. Oh, yeah, I love a good wind-up torch. They're yeah, the best. me too. So it was then that the activity reached its highest. One evening, Diane went to make some coffee. The lights went out. Jean started searching for a torch when she heard Diane let out a scream. The sun was only just setting, so the family had just enough light to see around the house, and that's when they saw Diane being dragged upstairs cardigan stretched out in front of her as if she was being pulled by an invisible force. She was grasping at her throat, indicating that the figure's other hand must have been around her neck. That's horrific. She was screaming so loudly at this point and in total panic. Philip and Jean rushed up to try and free her and drag her away. Suddenly, it let go and all three fell backwards down the stairs. 
Diane was given a large brandy to calm herself, and in the light, they saw her neck was covered in red finger marks. Bless her. She deserved that brandy. She did. So a few days later, Jean came downstairs only to find the entire hallway carpet was drenched and leading away from it were wet footprints. Well, oh, wet. don't you hate wet? wet <laughs> don't you hate that? Yeah, wet footprints. Yeah, couldn't but, say that. Yeah, but not just normal footprints. Huge footprints. Bigfoot. Well, he's got big feet, big arms. He's tall though, isn't he? Yeah. Big teeth. Mm. He's a tall guy. Then came the turn of Philip and Diane to see the monk. They were watching some TV and both noticed a figure through the frosted glass that led into the kitchen. Philip got up and opened the door and saw the apparition vanishing away into the floor. Mm. I didn't like that. I don't like that either. That's horrible. So Joe had a friend who had just returned from Scotland. Joe filled him in about what had been happening at their house. His friend mentioned that in Scotland, people hang garlic around the house to ward off spirits. Now, vampires, the Pritchards had heard of, but ghosts? Either way, off Philip went to buy some garlic, and they spread it all over the house. And as easy as that, Fred was gone. Fuck off. Nah. Yep. Now, whether it was the garlic or just a coincidence and Fred had run out of energy, we'll never know. The main theory is that the ground on which the estate is, is haunted as other houses also have reported seeing apparitions. The underground water stream would also be a great energy source. The monk legend, we will never know if there's any truth to it, as Fred seemed to listen and mimic what he heard. Perfect example was the ripped photograph at the beginning. Do you remember? He overheard the ghost hunter, and then he ripped up the photos. And another time he overheard someone say that they were lucky that the poltergeist hadn't broken their beautiful grandfather clock. And in the minutes that had followed, it was thrown down the stairs and smashed to smithereens. The family had found out about the murderous monk legend. So had Fred overheard them and decided that that was what he was going to pretend to be. It seems clear that he fed off the teenager's energy, starting with Philip then vanishing for two years until Diane hit puberty and boom, he was back with a vengeance. But as Diane moved out of that hormonal window, he vanished again and he didn't return in all the time that the Pritchards remained in their house. The kids eventually moved out. Joe passed away in the house in 1986, dying on the bathroom floor from a heart attack. And Jean remained at number 30 East Drive for the next 25 years, with a parrot as her only companion. Well, almost her only companion. Fred was nowhere near as active, but he was definitely still around. Well, there you go. Pat Holden knew all about the stories of the Black Monk of Pontefract, as Jean was the sister of one of his aunts. So, yes, complicated connection, but there's a connection. So his aunt as well, then? I don't know. That's what it said in the book. (laughs) (laughs) Or a great aunt, maybe? Or maybe the aunt was just an aunt through marriage 
Because she's the sister, she's not an aunt. That's plausible. I will allow that. Move on, please. And do continue, Emma. Thank you. Okay. He never visited the house itself, but he remembers a story his mother would tell them and the excitement and intrigue he felt about it all. And this is why, now, as a film director, he decided to make a film about the hauntings called When the Lights Went Out. He and the producer, Bill Bungay, decided it would be best to leave Jean in peace, who they just assumed still lived in the house, and so they built an entire different set in Huddersfield, a few miles away from Pontefract. They recreated the inside of the house and used another house to film the outside scenes. It wasn't until the movie was finished and they were finding ideas for publicity that Bill Bungay travelled to Pontefract only to see a for-sale sign in front of 30 East Drive. The house had been for sale for four years as Jean had moved into a retirement home. Bill suddenly realised that they had missed a huge opportunity. They could have used the actual house all along. But now he wasn't going to let the chance slip away a second time, so he bought the house that was exceptionally cheap, of course, as no one wanted to live in this famously haunted house. Mm. He thought they could use the house to promote the film. Then he would do it all up and sell it on. Jobs are good un. He thought, by now, assuming that there was any truth behind the Pritchard's haunting, that Fred would be long gone. And anyway, there were no teens living there for him to feed off, so everything would be just fine. He was, of course, very wrong. No. When the lights went out, premiered, as is often the case, at Leicester Square. But as a publicity stunt, it premiered first at 30 East Drive, Pontefract. Go on in the lounge where Fred had tormented the Pritchards some 50 years before. Two competition winners had the opportunity to go and watch it. They both were extremely nervous about walking into the haunted house, but also filled with excitement and intrigue. A radio chat show host that was covering the event handed them a box full of crucifixes, holy water, garlic and a Bible. And although the experience was no doubt creepy as fuck, the pair did not notice anything in particular whilst in the house. Can you imagine that? Watching a horror film that's based on a true story in the place that the true story took place. Yeah, fuck that for a laugh. Yeah. Nah. But nothing happened, to be fair. I wouldn't have taken the chance. No, no, that would be a no from me. So this further reinforced Bill's belief that the house was no longer haunted. Publicity for the film continued and Bill hosted a party with some of the stars from the film. The film was getting some buzz and curious people of the public would turn up to catch a glimpse of the house. Bill's plan was working. It was at this first party that Bill met the next door neighbour, Carol Fieldhouse, another psychic medium. It was a strange first encounter, as before Bill could even introduce himself, she blurted out, he's here right now, you know, and he's given you a year to get out. Bloody hell. Okay. Hi, I'm Bill, he replied. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Carol, she said, but your tenant is just over there at the bottom of the stairs. My tenant? Bill asked. Yeah, the black monk, she answered. One year, eh? He thought. Is that ownership or residency, as I've got no intention of living in this house? He thought that Carol was odd and basically making the whole thing up. 
But in the coming months, he would quickly gain respect for her and also for his new tenant. Carol told him that Fred doesn't just stay at number 30, he would visit her house too. But most of the time, she would just hear him crashing and thumping, voices and heavy footsteps in the then empty number 30. She said she had known Jean for many years and to begin with she felt it was her responsibility to make sure the house was okay. So when she heard these noises she would go and check that the house hadn't been broken into. But she never found any signs of anything illegal. Bill stayed quite sceptical about all this and returned to the party. It was then that he asked a special guest, who apparently was also dealing with a violent poltergeist of her own at the time, to take a photo of him and two of the stars of the film. As she took his phone, it instantly died in her hands, going from 75% battery to zero in the space of a few seconds. Bill couldn't understand it, but certainly didn't think it was anything paranormal. He just plugged his phone in to recharge it. Once he flicked through his pictures, he was disappointed to see that the photo of him and the stars hadn't been taken. It wasn't until several weeks later, upon opening his phone, that he discovered the eerily blurry photo on his home screen. He was absolutely positive that it had been nowhere on his phone. He'd searched in all his albums. The photo did not exist, and yet somehow there it was, staring at him from his home screen. So it's quite a well-known fact that paranormal activity can drain technical equipment and this wouldn't be the last time that Bill would witness such events. Over the next few months, he kept in touch with the neighbour Carol and checked him from time to time on his property. She always had a scary story to tell him about Fred's antics at number 30. It almost seemed like he was grumpy and not having Jean there to annoy anymore. Carol said she had seen blue floating lights in her own house and that more terrifyingly, her son had found his duvet covered moulded into the shape of a human body. Nah, nope. Bill listened politely but still didn't really believe her because after all, all he'd experienced was the appearing photograph but he could explain that by some kind of technical fault with his phone. Everything was about to change, however. Upon the arrival of a documentary crew who were filming something called Can You Brave a Haunted House? Something doesn't feel right in here, claimed one of the guests. Carol was there and asked if she would like to follow her upstairs and added, but whatever you do, hold on as he likes to push people down. Carol sensed two spirits in the house and said the energy was highly unpleasant. Before leaving, she said, You're all mental staying the night here. He's going to have some fun with you. Despite Carol's warnings, nothing horrendous happened. I say this as someone who has been reading about Fred for some time now, so maybe I'm used to his scarier antics, but I'm sure if what I'm going to describe happened to me, I would have shit myself. The crew experienced the kettle turning itself on and off again, over and over again. One of the crew was held down during the night by some unseen presence. Coincidentally, he was sleeping in Diane's old room. And most bizarrely of all, when the crew went to leave, they found that their keys had gone missing, leaving them stranded in Pontefract. They searched the house high and low. Eventually, they found the keys in the bag of an old 1970s vacuum cleaner that Bill had bought from a charity shop to add to the ambiance of the house. 
However, the vacuum cleaner didn't work. And even if it had, no one had plugged it in or heard it up and running. And also, it's highly doubtful that it would have had the power to suck up a heavy set of keys. Fred was definitely up to his old tricks again. The film crew finished cleaning up all their stuff at around 2am in the morning. And as they left, Bill did a once over the property, just picking up bits of rubbish that had been left out and then nipping outside to close the wrought iron gates. He bolted both sides of the gates into the ground and added a cement block. No way was anyone opening them without a serious shove. And yet, as he chatted with two helpers who were really ready to go, because they were getting a bit anxious about being in the house. Understandably. Yeah, as many people often felt, um, they were uncomfortable in there. He turned to look at the gate and it was wide open. He couldn't believe it. Without making any sound and in the space of a minute, the gate was wide open. The concrete block sat at the side of it. He couldn't understand it at all. He knew he'd bolted both sides into the ground and that the cement block had taken quite some pushing on the driveway surface to get into place. It wasn't windy or icy, you know, so it couldn't have possibly, uh, like, slid. Mm. Yeah. And to be honest, it, even if it had been windy, it would have had to, like, be hurricane force winds for it to move. Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't windy in the slightest. But even so, that wouldn't explain the bolts lifting up from the ground. No. So this was the first time Bill actually began to believe that the house was indeed haunted. And this belief only got stronger with time. And that is end of part three. Dun, dun, dun. So, uh, I mean, that was a roller coaster of emotions. That went from ghost porn. <laughs> to terrifying, to sad, to what next? Yeah. And I think we should organise, like, everybody watches when the lights went out and we should be on discord chatting with everybody we should like have a movie you know a movie screening that would be cool that would be cool so yeah so it's actually the producer of that film that owns the house so there we go thank you emma that was really good we'll have some more of his adventures next week and i'll try not to make everything sound dirty i do blame veronica spankswell though (laughs) <laughs> yeah, she uh, unleashed something in us this evening. Yeah, she uh, has that effect on people. Yeah, she so does. Heard. Dirty bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have to find. You just need to find your dominatrix names. Maybe it'll come to you just as as a calling, like mine did today. Maybe it will. Maybe it will. Do you know what's really funny is that you know when people say, "What's your?" your like porn name or or your dominatrix name is normally the last thing you ate or drunk and the colour underwear you're wearing, isn't it? Or something like that. Yeah. And well, just as you messaged us earlier to say that you'd found your dominatrix name, I'd eaten a waffle and I'll leave you to guess the colour underwear that I have on today. Oh, it's not blue, is it? It is. Oh, it man. Is. Yeah, I wasn't impressed. Oh, dear. I remember looking that up. <laughs> Me too. Scarred for life. Disgusting. Ugh. The worst. Wasn't it not real, though? I can't even... I can't remember. Maybe you should look it up. 
and just check. I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Becky, murder? Murder. It's murder on the dance floor. You better not kill the groove. DJ, gonna burn this goddamn house right down. I can't believe we've never sung that before. Yeah. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. They may be others. Ah, <laughs> uh, are you ready? Yep. For some murder. Let's do it. Murder, murder, murder. I thought we'd take it back to France with this week's story. Bonjour. Yes. So, bonjour, bonjour. Bonjour, 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 bonjour. bonjour. <laughs> there goes the baker with his tray like always. Good morning, Belle. Bonjour, bonjour. <laughs> How is your family? <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's get to it. France is a country. Is a country. Mm-hmm. In Europe. Where we live. Yes, where two thirds of us live. Of this podcast, anyway. There's a lot of murders in France that are really interesting. I just have to translate everything because, like, there a lot of them are stories that are not very well known at all in countries where we speak English. So it just creates a lot of work for me. Whereas this one, I did find quite a lot of articles in English, but not as detailed as the ones in French. So there was a little bit of translation work doing here and actually looking at newspaper clippings from the time. So appreciate appreciate the work and the effort that I put in please we appreciate you thank you well now I know that I'm appreciated I will carry on (laughs) so being a parent of a child that goes missing must surely rank as one of the most horrendous experiences that anyone can suffer oh my god we're not going with missing kids after the bloody porn fest we've just had surely yeah this is a mood change Jesus. I don't think there's going to be much laughing going on, I'm afraid. We've just got to roll with it. It was the 6th of April 1922 when two-year-old Pauline Picard was playing on the family farm in a small village in France when she disappeared. François and Marion Picard lived on a farm with their nine children as they loved having millions of children back then. I think the past three stories that I've done, people have had over eight children. So many children. (laughs) So many children. But that was the way. Yeah. Oh, not judging, but, you know, respect. Nine children. (laughs) So the farm was located in a small village near Brest. Brest the town, not Brest's. The Tilly. Called Saint-Rivoile. So in the Brittany area of France, it was a very quiet and safe area. Because the farm was so rural, Marion never worried about letting her children play in the picturesque farmland unsupervised. At about 4.20pm, Francois saw some of his children go out to play. Among them was two-year-old Pauline, and she was out playing with her older sisters. That evening, Marion called her daughters back for supper 
But when they returned, Pauline was not with them. Oh, man. I know. Two-year-old, though. They're at the worst stage in the world. You have to be on them like a hawk. Yeah. Oh, my God. Your eyes have to be in the back of your head, don't they, a two-year-old? I mean, even even in the 1920s, two-year-olds were still two-year-olds. You know, they get into shit. Mm. So they begin looking for her, and they all look everywhere, all over their land, and they can't find her anywhere. It's starting to get dark, so they go and inform the police. But when they do so, a huge storm starts rolling in so that they can't, they can't search anymore. The police won't send anyone out. The next day, the police and townspeople banded together and a description of Pauline was given out. She was two years old, blonde hair, blue eyes, wearing clogs, and on the clogs were leather straps and she was wearing a dress. So they decided to all form like a huge line and just kind of comb the landscape yeah, for the lost little girl, but they came up empty-handed. They couldn't find her anywhere. I don't... Oh, your heart just sinks. Yeah. The reason why I messaged you earlier was I still hadn't finished this story and... The fact that I have a two-year-old little girl at the minute, it just really, it's a really, it's not a very nice story as it is, but it, I was just, it was just getting a bit much. So I was going to, yeah. I was going to read you a story that we did that we never released the episode for. And it's been long enough now that I think we've all forgotten the story. <laughs> so uh, I was going to do that, but I got too far into it and uh, needed to finish it. So the media dubbed her La Petite Pauline Picard. Oh. So little Pauline Picard. Because she had essentially just vanished without a trace. As I've mentioned in some of my other cases, statistics show that the first 48 hours after a child's disappearance are the most critical for finding them alive. At the three-week mark, rumours started spreading about the toddler's fate. Little Pauline was wildly assumed to have been eaten alive by a wild boar. Oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. Or taken by gypsies. I mean, I know I know, pigs, they, apparently you can get rid of a whole body giving them to pigs, but I didn't think a wild boar would eat a child. Well, a wild boar is a pig, isn't it? Yeah. No, I wouldn't have thought that. I thought they were all, like... Eating leaves and berries and stuff. Like hunting for truffles and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> That's only the posh boar. I've never heard of child-killing boars, I've got to admit. No, or not child-devour, you know, like, eating boars. No. I can imagine, yeah, if you accidentally... They're pretty territorial, aren't they, and defensive. If a toddler walked by a load of wild boar, maybe one would try and get it away, but I don't think it'd then eat it. No. Anyway, I'm not an expert on wild boar. They thought that she'd possibly been eaten by a wild boar or taken by gypsies. Also in the area, there was lots of cattle and horses. So someone said that maybe she got hit in the head by a horse when they kicked back. Yeah, but they would have found her. Yeah, but they said that maybe she'd, you know, she's only a two-year-old, only be tiny. Um, They might have missed her. There was also talk of a chimney sweep that came to the village and enticed Pauline with candy. 
A neighbour said that she saw two strangers who hung around the farm during the time that the disappearance took place. Well, that's suspicious. Yeah. The Picards had begun to abandon all hope of seeing their little girl ever again. Oh, God, I can't even imagine. Yeah. Until on the 25th of April, 1922, Madame Roublot, a woman living in her apartment, decided to leave her apartment and go do some Frenchy things, like go and get some bread and stuff. So around 8am, she left her apartment and was just about to go down this communal stairway when her foot got caught on something. Oh God, what did it get caught on? And she looked down and saw two big blue eyes looking up at her. And it was a little blonde-haired, blue-eyed little toddler sat alone on the staircase of this apartment building. Alive? Alive. Oh, thank fuck for that! Yeah. Madame Rublo went and picked up the little girl and was like, what are you doing here? So she decided to knock on her neighbour's door and asked if they had uh, left anything in the hallway and uh, that thing being a human child. <laughs> and uh, no one knew where the who the child was, where it came from. So she went through the whole apartment building and no one had seen the child before or had any idea who they could be. Oh, God, I was, I was panicking then that like she'd escaped from her kidnappers and that Madame Roublot was going to return oh, just, her. Uh, yeah, just like, hey, have you lost this? Oh, God. I bet that's happened before. Oh, God. So with no luck, she decided to go to the nearby convent and speak to the nuns. As you do. But yeah, you know. Yeah, nun, police, nun, police, same thing. Yeah. Yeah, but remember what year this is. Yeah. Now, they do, they do call the police afterwards. The little girl seemed happy enough. They tried to ask her, you know, where, where's your mum, where's your dad? But the little girl was too young or possibly too traumatised to reply. Oh, God. She was dressed in clean clothes with socks and clogs with the leather strap. But what I forgot to mention, this was all happening in Cherbourg. And Cherbourg is about 400 kilometres away from the village near Brest, where... She disappeared? Disappeared, yeah, about 250 miles. Okay, so yeah, they won't have really any idea about little uh, Pauline, will they? No. So yeah, um, Pauline's parents are lost and grief-stricken, and then some news came from Sherberg about a little girl that was found matching Pauline's description, was wandering about all alone. What was weird is the fact that obviously a toddler wouldn't be able to walk 250 miles. No. Even if it was in three weeks. Without one being absolutely filthy. And two, they you know, it's just impossible that their child would end up there by itself. Well, someone would have seen her anyway. Yeah, somebody would have picked her up. She wouldn't have eaten for three weeks. You know, nah. A photo was taken of the little girl and it was brought to Pauline's mother by the police. And as was reported in the newspaper Le Matin, apparently she burst into tears, crying, that's my daughter, my poor little Pauline. And she was overcome with joy. Both of them were. So the couple drove the 250 miles to Sherberg to go and get their daughter. 
but the mystery surrounding little Pauline's disappearance was far from over. The little girl didn't recognise her parents or her siblings, and many other questions were unanswered. Oh, it's not her, is it? Yeah, like what I said earlier, how did a toddler wander 250 miles without succumbing to the elements? Why didn't she recognise her parents? And they also couldn't understand why she had forgotten the Breton dialect. These doubts were explained away by amnesia brought on by post-traumatic stress, that Pauline had been abducted and possibly abused by her kidnapper. While the girl didn't seem to recognise her family or anything, her brothers, sisters, parents, all recognised her. Witness reports a mysterious woman dressed in rags that was seen near the building where the little girl was found, and the media maintained that this woman was the key to unravelling the mystery behind Pauline's disappearance. Through newspapers that went worldwide, from Paris to New York, they all rejoiced over the miraculous return of little Pauline. Yet the Picards started having like a nagging suspicions that the child living with them in their house wasn't theirs. These worries grew when a local farmer called Yves Martin seemingly confessed to killing their daughter. Oh! He shakily asked the Picards whether they thought that the little girl in the house was their daughter, to which they said yes, and then he started screaming, God help me, I'm guilty, then running off. Shit. He had actually suffered brain damage in the weeks and months prior and was later admitted to an asylum, so he was actually just having a complete mental break. Yeah. But still, that completely unsettled the Picards even more. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Soon after this happened, a discovery was made that would shake France once again. In the morning of May 26th, the same year, a cyclist was cycling near the Picard farm when he noticed clothing strewn around a field. As he got closer, he realised that it was a body of a young child in a very bad state of decomposition. Oh, God. The head and several limbs were missing. Oh, my God. Mm. But next to the body was a carefully folded pile of clothes. The Picards would identify the clothing as Pauline's. Oh, that poor baby. The police were a little bit baffled because they had searched that area many times and she had not been found. And the cyclist saw it from the road. So she would have been found. That body had been placed there later. Yeah, they'd been keeping her. Yeah. Oh, the weirdest part of it was there was a an adult-sized skull found next to the child's body. It didn't belong to the same body. Oh. So that's also hell. very strange. Yeah, just a tad. Yeah, so this could possibly be introducing a second victim of an unknown murderer. So an inquiry into the body determined that it was, in fact, Pauline. Oh, and that fuck, she had died... Fuck, fuck, fuck. And that she had died accidentally after getting lost and finding herself stranded in a storm that had passed through that night, with the gruesome injuries put down to scavengers. 
Locals that were involved in the search dismissed this, as I said earlier, that they had searched the area many times and they would never have missed the body out in the open like that. And the scavengers aren't oh, going it's to... the clothes. Yeah, exactly. The scavengers aren't going to, like, take her clothes off and fold them up, are they? No. And why is there no. a, another bloody human head there? I know. The inquiry did not determine who the adult school belonged to. So Pauline's body was buried under a headstone engraved with her name and her parents held a funeral for their daughter. Little love. Awful, but I can't believe that that's what they thought happened. Uh. What? what I mean, are, are they just keeping this random little girl? I'll, I'll get to her a bit later. Okay. But she's with them at the minute. She's with them at the minute, yeah. Wild chatter swirled around the village about who could have murdered the child. Police investigated a man named Christophe Keramon, an umbrella salesman who worked for the family. And also how popular were umbrellas that that was his job? Yeah, literally his sole purpose was umbrella selling. Yeah. <laughs> Someone's got to do it. Mm. So this guy had eaten breakfast with the Picards on the morning that Pauline disappeared. He was overly fond of Pauline, often cuddling her and telling her that he'd find her a good home in another town. That's very strange. Pauline's parents had left the two alone together on the day that the girl disappeared. Why? <laughs> Why? Yeah, no. I'm not for leaving your toddler with random salesmen. Or anyone. No, me neither. I do think that's frowned upon. I know Stranger Danger wasn't a huge thing back in the 20s as what it is now. But one thing that doesn't change throughout history is that predators were there then and they're here now. You know, they're everywhere. So apparently someone had even heard Caraman tell Pauline that she was going with him uh, when he left. And the police arrested him, but eventually released him as his alibi checked out. Other townspeople suspected a man, Yves Martin, the one that went a bit mental and said that he, oh God, he said, God is fair and I am guilty and then ran away. A lot of the people in the town thought it was him. Well, yeah, I can see why also. Yeah. Yeah, but because of his traumatic brain injury, it's likely that his ravings were not a confession of guilt, but just his brain firing in all directions. Yeah. A French newspaper, Le Journal, also pointed the finger at someone, but this time at Pauline's family, saying that she had been abused by a family member, and they implied that it could be her father, Francois, who apparently had frequent violent outbursts. They suggested that he killed her and then hid her body. But no one of the sources mentioned this at all. So I don't know if it, the journal just decided to point the finger at the father, a grieving father, or what. But the police would have looked into it, but they didn't find anything at all. He was working on the farm, and his wife knew where he was, so he, didn't, he wouldn't have had time to... Uh... What a fucking terrible thing to be accused of as a father. I know, and in, like, the newspaper. Yeah. Awful. And there was another popular theory that people in the area were fond of, that this theory, but the police didn't. They just uh, saw it as like a romantic theory. 
Um, they said that a rich couple kidnapped Pauline to replace their own daughter and their supposed motive was because they would lose their inheritance if news got out that their real daughter was dead and that the little corpse that they found was their own daughter. Oh. Mm. But where does that theory come from? Is that just something? I think someone's just spouted that out of nowhere. Yeah. Literally zero evidence. Yeah, nothing mm. to back that up. No. That's just people being rumoured, shit-stirring and rumour-starting. Yeah. Even though, yes, I'd prefer that, because that means that Pauline's still alive. But yeah, that's just gossiping, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. The fact that DNA evidence in the 20s was just not, you know, wasn't anywhere near being used for crime scenes. The case actually was never 100% solved, that we still don't know who killed Pauline. But how did they know that that little body was her if they didn't have DNA? Uh, Because of the clothes. So it was literally just the clothes. That's all they had to go on, yeah. They didn't have a face or anything, they had a hand. The whole thing's very suspicious. Yeah. So you asked about the other child. Well, yeah, this random little girl, yeah. That's obviously a doppelganger. Yeah. The Picards determined that the child from Sherberg could not be Pauline as they have found her body, so they sent her to an orphanage. Oh. No one was ever able to find out her true identity, and sadly she died several months later of the measles. Oh, poor little mite. Jesus, this just gets worse and worse. Hmm. So people said, I don't know if you've already done a story about it, but changelings? I haven't done a story about it, but yeah. Yeah, but some people suggested that it was something to do with that. The fact that her she disappeared and then a complete doppelganger turned up 400 kilometres away. What are changelings? Is it like fairies that steal babies and then... I think it's something, I don't know, I think there's a few, I didn't have time to look into it, and I'll say it was kind of going into your territory. You are allowed to go there sometimes. It's, it's okay. Yeah, I know. We can cross over. It's fine. Yeah. I was running out of time. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, um, so through this very sad story, Pauline Picard was known as the girl that went missing once and was found twice. Oh, that just sent shivers down my spine, like somebody walked over my grave. Because they're both dead. That's made me feel physically sick, actually. That is awful. My um, sources for this was, a lot of it was from a document called The Affaire Pauline Picard. It's on a French website called docplayer.fr, and it's all newspaper clippings from the time and like a timeline of what happened. Uh, but that's all in French. Or in English, there was an article called Pauline Picard on thestrangeoutdoors.com and the same thing on morbidology.com. So there we are. That's my case. I just don't understand how two children can be completely identical and nobody, like, no, nobody reports this other child missing. No, it's weird, isn't it? She just it? appeared in this building and then... And then disappeared a few months later of the bloody measles. And then, and and yeah, and nobody looked after her. I can't believe they just put her in an orphanage. Like, well, you're not ours. I also find it baffling that the whole family thought it was... Well, yeah, they must because... have been identical. 
Because you know your child. Surely you know. You know your child. I think that's why they were having feelings that it might not be her. Maybe because they were dying to see her and they hadn't seen her in, well, nearly a month. And they're distraught. They just wanted it to be her. Yeah. Yeah. I can get why, like, the mum and the dad may think that. And I know, obviously, everyone's going to feel heartbroken. But the siblings. Yeah. The poor dad, though, as well. Getting destroyed in the newspapers. Oh, awful. So I think, though, back then, no telly, no social media, nothing. A newspaper was how everyone found out stuff. Yeah. So that was huge. It's almost yeah. as if, like, now it was spread all over telly that people think that you've murdered your child. Yeah, but it often is people close to you. Yeah, I mean, you. we still don't know. It might be. But if not, that is awful. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Mm. Yeah, this little girl just... I, I don't know. It's almost... I don't know. It's quite spooky. Yeah. I think I definitely want an, an episode from you on changelings at one point, and it might give us maybe a couple of answers. Yeah, that that would be good. Possibly. And it might be a reason why... The child then died again because it changed into someone else. I think that's what a changeling is. But yeah, I think it's also something to do with fairies. But I don't know whether that's because of Outlander. Wasn't there a film called The Changeling with Angelina Jolie? Yeah, that's. Um, I think so. That's about a murder, though, isn't it? About I don't. I can't remember it, but I'm sure it's her having a child, and she knows it's not her child, even though it looks exactly yeah. like yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, her um, son gets murdered by the serial killer, but we don't know 100% if he was murdered or not. And she's like, my son, all the time. It's a good film. Ah. Sad film. But that's awful. I'm, I'm, I don't know what to say, because obviously there's no proof that it, the body was actually pulling except the clothes. Yeah. So that, that could have been anybody's little body. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, that's how they kind of used to fake their own death. I mean, not like Pauline would fake her own death, but if you wanted it to disappear, you could just kind of produce a body and cut its head off and dress it in your clothes, and people would be like, oh, well, that's that's Becky. She's just missing her head. You know, there's no way Ugh. to identify. And, like, I don't know when fin- fingerprints... random head! Yeah. I mean, that's fucking weird. Yeah, that was a skull, though. It wasn't a... A severed head. It was already well, it was skeletal. A, it was a severed head at some point. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, but compared to the child's body that was um, decomposing, that was already done. Yeah, but they were next to each other, yeah. weren't they? So they'd obviously been put there together. Mm, it's very strange. I mean, it could have been because it's um, so long ago, maybe that school was to do with the body and they just got it wrong. Maybe. You know, there's lots of things that it could be. And this is why I don't like cold cases, because you don't there's get... There's no closure. Um, you don't get no closure, no justice. Nothing. I don't know how I would react in this situation, obviously, because it's such a horrendous feeling. But that little girl that they had, when they realised that she wasn't theirs, but she had nowhere else to go, I, I can't see myself just, like, throwing her away. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, neither do I, but I don't but know. But it's hard to say because you don't know how... It's a hard one to say, isn't it? Yeah. But I do feel awful for her because she was just like... 
oh, you're not actually what we want, what we thought you were, so off you pop. And then she died. Yeah. Well, fuck me. We ain't giggling no more, are we? No. No, we're not. Um, do you want me to do the song? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm absolutely head fucked by that case. I don't know what to think about it at all. So, yeah. It's horrific. France has got some horrific cases, haven't they? That's a weird one, though, right? Yeah. To be honest, I think a lot of the the ones that I've done in France have all been rural. Like, none of them have happened in, like, Paris, where most of the crime is in the bigger cities. These are all in these tiny, weeny little villages. There are weird... I mean, even to this day, there are some, like, proper weird people around. What, here, in the in the old rural areas? Yes. Yeah. There's a few people that are very um, homegrown. Yeah, A little bit too brother and sister friendly. Yeah, In some areas. Oh, I had somebody come into my pub at one point and tell me how it all went down back in the day. If you didn't get married, that you'd just shack up with your sister and get your kicks that way. But it'd only have to be anal because obviously you can't get pregnant. That's lovely bar bar conversation in the middle of the day. Yeah. Talking about anal with your sister. Nice. This person wasn't saying they did that. They were saying... Yeah, they probably That's why you did. know so much about it. Um, oh, we um, when we first moved over, we got invited around for like coffee by this lovely old lady and uh, well, old couple actually, in the little tiny village that uh, that we that we lived in. You know that they have the village fete, the 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 village yeah. party thing once a year. Um, well, they always used to do, they used to show it like these old, old fashioned dances that they used to get dressed up in their little outfits. And they had this, like, um, the women had like this long, like handkerchief thing that they took into the side of their dress, kind of at the side at the back and it trail along the floor and it was like in a bow, but the, you know, the, the bit that you'd pull to undo the bow is like dangling on the floor. Yeah. And she says that that's where she met her husband because if the man trod on the knot, you know, trod on your bow and undid it, that meant that he was, you know, interested. And that's basically, he did that and they, they got married and that's it. That's how they met. That's how their story started. He trod on her bow ribbon thing. Well, that's sweet though. That's kind of I cute. I think it is sweet. And they were still together and they were in there like, 80s they were very you know they were quite old when when we went round for a yeah coffee. well that's sweet and they weren't related right <laughs> don't know no they weren't related no. in them parts no no they weren't no because they no they were saying that she didn't she hadn't seen him before and she was like oh you know not that bad you will do yes i will let you undo my bow yes stomp on that bow take it off Right, so I shall get after that little segue, little uh, little story at the side there. Shall we get on to the scary song? Let's do it. Okay. Can't Let's be worse than what we've just heard. No. She has the most horrific, sinister smile. It's haunted me since my childhood. It spans right across her cadaverous face. Oh, God. 
I spend my days running from her. I try to find a safe place where I can cower and hide. I pray that she didn't hear me and that she would pass me by. I would hear her calling, my sweet child. I shake, trying to stay silent. My sweet child. I see her eye looking at me through the keyhole. I found you, oh sweet love of mine. There we are, that was the song. (laughs) Well, that was creepy as fuck. Yeah. It reminded me of your horrible peeking story. (laughs) That's made me feel very strange about peeking. Peeking's creepy, but funny. (laughs) I think I know what it is. Yeah. Me too. Anyway, should we wrap it up? Yes. Let's. You can catch us at all your social media outlets, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. They are all under the same name, which is S-E-S-K underscore podcast. We're also on Facebook, Emma. Just Spine Chillers and Serial Killers. Yeah. And you could also write in with any story suggestions or your own personal ghost stories or hometown murder stories or uh, also to suggest the answer to our song riddle so yeah if you send it to us on social media please pm it or you can send it to me an email at chillers.killers.pod at gmail.com yeah also, I will never not want to say Tinder. Every single <laughs> time. You try, every time you try so hard. It's technically true, though. Technically, yeah. one third of us If you type in spine chillers and serial killers, Tash will pop up. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are two things that are very true about our podcast. We will always cock up the intro. No doubt. It's going to be awkward every single fucking time. And Tash will always want to say that our social media is on Tinder. Yeah. I have to hold (laughs) myself back from blurting it out every time. Tinder! (laughs) I also do. We have that in common. Anyway, guys. Stay safe. Don't kill people. And keep it weird. Bye. Bye!